Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash peptides. Thank you for joining me on the Save My Thyroid podcast, where I help people save their thyroid and regain their health. My name is Dr. Eric Osansky, and if you have hyperthyroidism, then you will especially benefit from these episodes. If you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you will also find many of the episodes to be valuable, including this one, where I interviewed Dr. Wendy Trubeau, who was a return guest, as last year we chatted about her book, Dirty Girl, Ditch the Toxins, Look Great, and Feel Freaking Amazing. And in this interview, we focus on the impact of heavy metals on thyroid health. As usual, make sure you listen to the post-episode chat after the outro music as I'll expand on aluminum and arsenic, sauna therapy, colonics, and gut healing before detoxification. And you can access the show notes by visiting SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash 97. Anyway, here is my interview with Dr. Wendy. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, visit SaveMyThyroid.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. All right, well... With me, I have a return guest, Dr. Wendy Trubeau, and we are going to be chatting about heavy metals, and we'll be tying that a little bit into thyroid health, thyroid autoimmunity. And so let me dive into Dr. Wendy's bio, which is go back and forth and talk about heavy metals. So Dr. Wendy Trubeau is passionate about helping women optimize their health and lives as a functional medicine gynecologist. So through her struggles with mold and metal toxicity, celiac disease, and other health issues, Dr. Trubeau has developed a deep sense of compassion and expertise for what her patients are facing. She is a co-author of the amazing book, Dirty Girl, Ditch the Toxins, Look Great, and Feel Freaking Amazing, and has been regularly featured in Mind Body Green and Huffington Post. She is an accomplished speaker and previously had her own television show, And she is on the faculty at A4M and a speaker for their conferences, along with other national societies. And she and her partner will be releasing their next book in mid-2023. And thank you again for joining us, Dr. Wendy. Thank you. Call me Wendy, but thank you. My pleasure. I'm so happy to be here because it's so near and dear to my heart. You know, everything we talk about. Yeah. So again, even though you're a repeat guest, I'm sure there are some people who aren't familiar with your background. So can you talk about a little bit I gave in the bio as far as I guess you had some struggles you mentioned with mold and metal toxicity. And I'm guessing that is what led up to writing the book, Dirty Girl, and really getting into the environmental toxin field. Yeah, 100%. I was a hot mess and it became my message because when I finally got diagnosed with heavy metals, which included lead and mercury, as well as mycotoxins, which are the toxins that mold puts out when it's hanging out in you, super creepy. I had five strains of those, plus a whole host of other environmental toxicants like gasoline fume, plastics, nail polish toxins, beauty products, phthalates, 
parabens, flame retardants. I had a whole list of those too. And I looked at my husband and I said, I am such a dirty girl. And we're writing that book because I am the poster child for healthy living. And I have all this stuff. So what does everyone else have? May not be as far along in the functional medicine lifestyle as I was. So it was really personal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all impacted by these environmental toxins. It's just not everybody exhibits symptoms. And obviously, your book is bringing awareness to those who are not experiencing symptoms. And of course, a lot of people are experiencing symptoms and not feeling bad and not associating with the environmental toxins. So thank you, you know, for that book. And yeah, I didn't realize. So you're coming out with another book as well. Yes. And like any good construction project, it's been delayed. It's called Sweaty and Bitchy from Sex to Brain Function, Master Menopause and Feel Freaking Amazing. However, we have so much going on that we said, okay, we're going to push that farther back. So it was supposed to come out in June and we pushed it probably to January, February next year. Okay. I'm glad I asked you. <laughs> good construction project. We're delayed. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Yeah. Glad I asked you. Yeah. In the bio, you sent it. It wasn't updated mid-2023. So now it's early 2024. 2024. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's right. I mean, again, you want to make sure that, I mean, I'm sure it'll be just as awesome book as the first one, but yeah, it's definitely something you don't want to rush. So yeah. Well, looking forward to that. And so heavy metals. So we're going to focus on heavy metals. Our last talk, we focused on a lot of different things, but really figured this talk Plenty to talk about when it comes to just heavy metals alone, but why don't you start out just talking about why there's such a concern? Yeah. I mean, Eric, this is so important. I'm so grateful to be able to discuss this. So heavy metals are all throughout our environment. And a lot of times they're not really present in large enough quantities to do much to us. However, big caveat, because we started to use lead and mercury and because thallium is in the soil in a lot of organically grown vegetables, and because cadmium is found in cigarettes and West Coast oysters, we now get exposed to these heavy metals at a much higher frequency amount than perhaps 300 years ago. So our exposure is much higher. And because we are all, by definition, born to someone who's female, we get 50% of what that person had. So you get 50% of your mother's heavy metals and other toxins. So you're born in life and you're already kind of behind the eight ball. And this matters because what we're seeing is, you know, for example, I have teenagers, you and I both have teenagers. And in theory, the teenagers, when you set aside what you get from your mother, theoretically, teenagers shouldn't have any of this stuff because there's no lead in their pipes. Well, for everyone except for 10 million Americans, there's no lead in the pipes. There's no mercury in their fillings. And yet these kids still come up with positive results. And that's because they're getting from their mother what their mother got. And most of us were born. And even if you weren't born in the 70s or before the 70s, you were born to someone who was born in the 60s and 70s or any in that time frame. you were exposed to lead in the gasoline, lead in the paint, lead in the pipes, Mercury in food processing, mercury in the fillings that we have, those silver fillings are 50% mercury by weight, and they never stop off-gassing. And I know this is all about save my thyroid, and the thyroid is particularly sensitive to the mercury. And I think about it, you know, your teeth are here and your thyroid is here. So anything that's off-gassing is going right, right past the thyroid and sort of giving it a good kick on its way into the rest of your system. So we're having exposures that are just constant even though we don't have some of those things we had, we still have the exposures. We just don't 
think of it like it used to be. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. We don't think about, you know, just being born already with so many toxins and it's just getting worse and worse from an overall toxin standpoint. And then, you know, like you mentioned, the heavy metals. I mean, thankfully, not as many dentists give the mercury amalgams, the silver fillings, but unfortunately, there still are. There still are dentists out there who are giving the silver fillings. And then obviously, there are other sources of heavy metals, which I know you'll get into. So most people, if not everyone's already at a disadvantage, according to what you're saying, right when they're born, just because they're picking up half the toxins that their mother has. So yeah, so if you can go over maybe some of the most common heavy metals you see in practice, and also some of the main sources of these heavy metals. Definitely. So the top four that I see that I really get excited is not the right word, but that catches my attention. So lead and mercury are the top two. I'll tell the sources of them in a minute. And then cadmium and thallium are the next two. There's others. You know, We test for about 15 of them, but really those are the ones we narrow in on. We do occasionally see arsenic because it's a huge source in rice. But the majority of them that I really go crazy over is lead and mercury and then thallium and cadmium. So the sources for lead, living in a home built before 1978, 1978 being that watershed year because the government outlawed lead being in paint from 1978 on. And so if you live in a house that was built before then, or if you are a DIY human and you like to do construction projects on those homes, you're increasing your exposure. If you were born to someone who you know, was born before 1978, you got half of what they had. Lead pipes is still a concern for about 10 million Americans. And then for mercury, what you're looking at are the fillings, those silver fillings and high mercury fish. And then there's this, I'll call it sort of subtle or sinister one, which is if you're eating food that was made with mercury to process it, for example, high fructose corn syrup, has to use mercury to get from corn to high fructose corn syrup, you get a dose of mercury in that high fructose corn syrup, along with glyphosate because you've concentrated the pesticide in that. Then for cadmium, as I mentioned, it's West Coast oysters and smoking. Those are the big sources. And thallium is largely from the soil in California because it has a lot of thallium in it. So if you're eating organic vegetables, this is the no good deed goes unpunished that you'll often have higher levels of thallium in your bloodstream. So it's hard to get away from it, honestly. Yeah, it's hard, if not impossible to at least, I mean, I'm sure everybody's different. And some people you see maybe real high thallium, other maybe not so much. And same thing with some other heavy metals. But is it rare where you see low levels of heavy metals, like across the board with a person? Yeah, I mean, the people who come to our practice, our local clinic, these are people who have self-selected. So like, I think if you test the general population, you'll certainly see more people who have nothing because you're making the pool so much bigger. But the people who wind up with us, I would say probably at least 50% of them have notable levels of metals, if not higher. Depends on the age range, you know, So and their detox and their genetics and their food and their gut. But I would say at least 50% have noticeable metals that I recommend treating. And so you mentioned mercury and lead are the top two. I don't think there's anybody that would deny how toxic they are. And same thing with cadmium, but we don't hear as much about thallium. So why thallium so bad? I mean, compared to these other heavy metals. It's not necessarily that it's so bad. Certainly when you compare it to lead and mercury, I'm much more worried about lead and mercury, 
But thallium, because it is a heavy metal long-term, if you were to have a big exposure, it can make you sick and it does contribute to inflammation and it can lead to degenerative diseases and autoimmune diseases. So we include it because often people are doing a good job by eating organic food. Like don't walk away thinking you should not eat organic. You are doing a good job eating organic. And it's something we need to just watch and monitor and keep an eye on. If you're eating a lot of organic, particularly the cruciferous, the broccolis and the cruciferous vegetables from California, your levels may be higher. So we got to keep it in the back of our head. Okay. Well, good to know. Thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned the potential impact that mercury could have on the thyroid just because of its proximity to the thyroid. And it's always off gas. Well, proximity as far as if you have the mercury amalgams and the constant off-gassing. Does it also have an effect on the immune system as far as what you've read and researched? Yeah. I mean, the downside to all of these metals is that they act as an inflammatory force, not just like a little drop in the bucket, but they're innately inflammatory. So the big picture thing is you don't have a lot of it floating around your bloodstream. Your body knows it's very toxic. You're going to put this away. Where do you put it away? Your bones, your organs, your fat. So lead is particularly loving of the bone. So when people have osteoporosis, my first response is, okay, well, you have a lead issue until proven otherwise, because it hangs out in the bones or celiac. Those are the top two for osteoporosis. And then the next things that I would be looking at for people would be mercury loves the thyroid or the thyroid hates mercury, whichever way you want to look at it. So autoimmune diseases are increased when you have high body burdens for metals, degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, dementia, multiple sclerosis, and then all autoimmune Hashimoto's, rheumatoid arthritis, celiac disease. Then it's also implicated in, when you look the other way, when you look at all of the things that people struggle and suffer with, metals and other toxins are implicated in pretty much anything that we suffer with. So heart disease, metabolic disease, diabetes, polycystic ovarian syndrome, bad periods, infertility, both male and female. Toxins are implicated in all of these at every level. And so it seems sort of innocuous, like, well, I don't live in an old house and I don't drink with lead pipes and I never had a mercury filling, but you still have it in your body because of where you came from. And it can still cause issues even without active exposure. It can still cause issues. Yeah. What's interesting also is that we'll talk more about the testing, but there are some tests out there now that look at the immune reaction to heavy metals too. So, and the point I bring up with this, it's not all about the levels, obviously with, I think you do like provoked urine testing and we'll talk about that. So, I mean, nobody wants to see like really high levels, but even if someone sees low levels, it doesn't mean that there's not a problem. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, part of the reason we get into this challenge is that your innate detox systems are suboptimal. And so that's one reason you store it instead of getting rid of it. And so when you have that, then sometimes it's hard to even really show what's happening until you improve the detox mechanisms, the liver or the gut, so that when you actually do test again, you can really see the true scope of it. And it can be reassuring or it can be horrifying. It kind of depends where you're sitting. Yeah. And then as you mentioned, this the focus is save my thyroid, but it's not just the impact on the thyroid, it just affects the whole body, so many different areas. And then when we talk about autoimmune thyroid conditions, such as Graves' Hashimoto's, mm-hmm. mercury can have an impact, but 
also, I imagine, other autoimmune conditions too. It could set the stage at the very least be, if not a trigger, a contributing factor. Yeah, it's an inflammatory agent. So when you look at autoimmune disease, you need to have a leaky gut, you need to have inflammation, and you need to have a trigger. And so these can either act as inflammatory events or they could act as the trigger if you got a big exposure. For example, I have a patient, she lives in a house that was built before 1978. It's an old Victorian and she's very handy and she loves to do projects on her house. She says to me, I saw her this other day, so it's fresh in my head. I saw her and she's like, I'm just not doing well. I've gained a bunch of weight. My knees hurt like stink. My brain's not working as well. And so I know her and she had a lead level of 95 one time when I test her, which just for the record is crazy high. We look for it under eight, well under eight. So knowing her, I said, so did you do any projects on your house in the last few months? She thought for a minute and she said, oh, oh yes, I ripped out a closet. And I was like, don't be a DIYer on your old lead laden house because you got another exposure. She'd actually tested She got rid of things over Thanksgiving. She did her construction and then noticed that she didn't feel well and was gaining the weight and her brain wasn't working and happened to retest in January because she was due for retest and the protocols were on and had gone up. And she's like, what happened? So it's often very subtle because you don't see it, but it does act as an inflammatory autoimmune triggering event for a lot of people. Yeah. So let's dive a little bit into the testing. So as far as detecting Heavy metals, again, are used to provoke urine testing, and that involves a baseline urine test. And then you give like a single chelating agent or multiple. I'll let you take over. And why don't you talk a little bit about the process? Sure. So we always do a baseline test on people just in case you've had an acute exposure. We want to catch and recognize that. So the baseline urine test, you literally, you get up in the morning and you pee. That's the test. And that tells us if you had some acute exposure over the last four to six weeks that you haven't yet fully put away and stored in your bones or organs or fat. And then we do a provoke test. We often do it on the same day. You know, you empty your bladder and you take these provoking agents. It's a chelating agent called DMSA. And I don't see kids, but you're going to give a kid a lower dose than you're going to give an adult. So it's loosely based on weight. And then we do a six-hour urine collection. Same test, but just now provoked. And what it does is it causes metals to come out of their storage depot and it binds to them. And then you pee it out and it's measured. So we look at the relative amount. We look at the baseline, we look at what is the standard, and we look at where you are. And just to keep in mind, if you have high body burdens, you often won't show the full extent of it. You'll show something, but you won't show that I say to people, after you do a removal protocol, your numbers often go up because you've improved the liver and you've improved the gut and you've improved the whole system's ability to get rid of it. Don't freak. Do not freak out. It's going to go up. And they always like to be prepped because it inevitably goes up, except for the people who started like crazy high. They always, almost always go down. So we are doing that type of testing and then we treat and then we test. I'm a huge fan of test, don't guess. So And whenever we're doing a treatment, we're testing to see what's the impact been. Do you need another role? Do you need to just focus on daily detox behaviors instead of sort of ramped up detox? Depends what people need. Yeah. So how frequently do you retest? Yeah, it kind of depends. So for the person who had that 95 level, who lives in that old lead-laden house, we actually treated for six months before we retested because her levels were ridiculous. But most people, after three months of treatment, I'm going to retest. And then once you're 
doing the program regularly, it's after about every eight weeks because we get more efficient with the treatment. The first treatment, we just want to make sure, are you tolerating it? Do you do okay when we raise the levels? Do you feel okay? I would say it's like a bell curve. Most people do really well. And then some people love how they feel. And then some people say, yeah, I really took a little while to get used to it. I had increased fatigue. I had a little bit of gut irritability when I took the protocol or I had a headache. So for the people who we treat everyone based on the standard of maybe you're that person who's going to react. So everyone gets kind of a lower dose for the first month and then it ramps up second month and third month. By the time you've tolerated the whole program and we do it again, we start to write at the highest dose so that you can have maximum efficiency for it. Yeah, it makes sense. So yeah, you don't want to go too quickly. And then it also takes time. Some people, that's a common question is how long does it take? And some people are surprised to learn that it takes a good amount of time and not just a month or two to get rid of all the heavy metals that you've accumulated your entire life. And like you said, have were born with in the first place. Yeah, you didn't get it in a year. You're not going to get rid of it in a year. It takes a lot longer than you would expect or even hope. And think again, like construction projects, they cost more money and they take more time than you think. And constructing an ideally healthy human takes a lot more than you would think. And I'll speak for myself. I'm particularly loyal to my toxins and my metals. So I'm coming up on about three and a half years of working on getting rid of them. And the issue is when we go back to the testing, the testing is not an exact science. So when you get a number of 14, it's not exact. That's how much metal you have in your body. What it is, is it's a guidepost to say, okay, I have a body burden. Now, when you compare a reading of 14 with 40 with 95, I'm pretty comfortable saying the person at 95 had a much higher body burden than the person at 14, but there's still a body burden. And if it's stored in your organs and your fat and your bones and you're teasing it out and pulling it out, it's a really painstaking process. So it's not overnight. And there's a lot of ways to do it. So we tailor custom treatment for, you know, what's going to work for you? What's your life like? What are your finances like? Are you getting exposed still? There's a lot of factors that go into it, but certainly it, it definitely takes longer to get rid of it, especially if you're being exposed ongoingly. Like if you have mercury fillings, silver fillings in your mouth. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And if you're looking to do everything you can to save your thyroid gland, in addition to listening to this podcast, there are a few different ways we can help you. First of all, I've written a book on hyperthyroidism called Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves Disease, as well as a book called Hashimoto's Triggers, which of course is on Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And you can find both of these on Amazon, as well as other websites where books are sold. Second, you could also join my Graves Disease and Hashimoto's Healing Community by visiting autoimmunethyroidgroup.com. And finally, if you want to get personal help from me, you could visit the website workwithdrerick.com. Just to let you know, I only see a limited number of new patients each month, and I do require anyone interested to complete a brief online application before working with me. And now back to the show. Speaking of ongoing exposure or, or acute exposure, that's what blood testing is used for as well. You mentioned a yeah. baseline test might pick it up too, but I'm sure you've had people go into your practice like patients who already did blood testing and everything was negative. I mean, some know, some have done their own research and know it's more acute exposure, but the blood testing, just because everything's negative, does once again, does not rule out problems with heavy metals, correct? 
Yeah. I've actually never had a patient in my practice who was positive on the blood test. And so if you go to your primary care doctor, it's good to rule out that there's no acute exposure. So if you say, hey, do a lead or a mercury blood spot on me, it should be negative. Unless you live in Flint, Michigan, it should be negative. But if it's positive, that's very worrisome because you got an acute, big exposure that's going on in your body. Most of the time, it's not going to be positive because it's stored away. It shouldn't be in your bloodstream. Your body was like, oh, this is toxic. You get rid of that as fast as possible. Yeah, makes sense. Aluminum. So you didn't mention aluminum. Is it something you don't see a lot on the testing? I don't see a lot of it, actually. It's kind of interesting. I don't see it a lot. I don't know why, but it's not tremendous. Yeah. I wonder, you know, I don't use chelating agents in my practice, but I wonder, is there just not a great chelator for that when you're doing using the oral chelators to mobilize the heavy metals? Because, I mean, I think you'd agree that aluminum is kind of widespread. I mean, still a lot of people use aluminum pots and pans and deodorants and cans that have (sighs) aluminum. Yeah, it is pretty widespread. And now I'm thinking like, I don't really see that that often. So I'll have to look that up, Eric. I don't pay attention to aluminum that much. Yeah. Yeah. Just curious. Because again, it is one that, I mean, you know, not to get into the vaccine talk and, you know, but Mm -hmm. some vaccines, not all vaccines, but they use it as an adjuvant. So again, it's just, yeah, it's just interesting. And it's also an immune stimulator as well. Just like, I mean, the other heavy metals play an impact, of course, when it comes to the immune system. And like you said, autoimmunity. But yeah, just something, or maybe we both could research it and see why it doesn't show up as far as if it is related to the different chelating agents. But yeah, I was just curious about that. So supporting detoxification. So what are some of the things that you do to support detoxification. I'm guessing it's maybe there's one or two things that you mainly focus on, but there's a lot of different things that could be done. This is my favorite part of the conversation, Eric, because the first part of the conversation is about how bad things are and how depressing it is and how you get all this exposure. But this part of the conversation is what agency do you have and how do you take control of the narrative and how do you alter your future and your health? So I really love this part. So thank you. So think of it in a couple of different ways. One, when you think about, let's go big picture, toxins in general, you can eat them in your food and your water and your alcohol and your juice. You can put them on your body with products and hair and lotions and clothing, or they can be around you like living near a golf course or a power plant or your air and water qualities. And there's some overlap with what you're drinking and the environmental things. So when you look at how are you going to take control of this narrative first, Let's stop getting exposed in as many ways as possible. Meaning, when we're talking specifically about metals, if you have lead pipes, obviously do not drink from your water. And because lead gets absorbed in your skin too, you're going to want to filter your water to get the lead out so that you're not bathing in it and absorbing it and not drinking it and not cooking with it. So that's sort of a special case. But if you have lead pipes, you really want to address that. And then the next level would be If you own a home that was built before 1978, try not to do DIY projects on it yourself because every time you cut into the wall, remove a wall, change something, you're disrupting what's already there and you make the particles airborne. You breathe them in, they absorb through your skin. You can eat them, not on purpose, but it gets into your system. So try not to do that. If you have mercury fillings, get them safely taken out with a biologic dentist because they continue to expose you to mercury. And I, I have to tell you, I wish I knew this 40 years ago. I had mercury fillings for 
over 40 years. And I never knew that it was implicated in hearing loss until I had hearing loss. And so if you have mercury fillings, get them taken out. They're nasty for you. Then we go to how do you actually optimize the body? So you're going to want to, here's the unpopular part, minimize alcohol because alcohol is a direct poison. It's literally poison. So when you drink alcohol, you stop all of your typical detox work because the body knows if you have to deal with alcohol, it's so much higher on the priority list than dealing with the toxins stored in your fat or the toxins that are nailing your thyroid. You're going to want to minimize your alcohol so that you're not distracting the liver off of doing routine and regular maintenance and detox on your body. And then you want to optimize your liver. So N-acetylcysteine, alpha-lipoic acid, phytonutrients, antioxidants, supporting phases one and two in the liver. I know that eating meat and flesh is particularly politicized, but there are benefits to eating flesh that support phase two in the detox process. So if you're someone who eats meat, just make sure you're eating grass-fed, grass-finished meat, and then organic chicken. And fish is really tough because it all has plastic in it. So I'm not sure what to say in terms of fish, but try to go for cold water fish and do not eat the high mercury fish because those are another huge source. So the ahi tuna that you get in that yummy tuna belly that you get with sushi and Chilean sea bass, which used to be my favorite form of fish, mahi-mahi, swordfish, all the big predator fish are, have aggregated all the mercury from all the fish they've eaten. And they can't get rid of it any better than we can. So when you eat it, you essentially take what they have and start storing it for them. So then you want to make sure your gut is optimized because if you don't have a functioning gut with good bacteria in it and poop every day in a nice long pipe, then what happens is your body has dysfunctional detox and you're more likely to reabsorb all of the things you're trying to get rid of. So make sure your gut is optimized and that's a whole conversation unto itself, but let's go big picture. Don't eat processed food, avoid alcohol because it increases leaky gut and it throws off the biota, the bacteria in your gut. Eat probiotic foods, eat fermented foods, eat foods that look like themselves, that didn't come from a package. Minimize your sugar, minimize your stress. These are all ways to help your gut. Make sure you poop regularly with magnesium or things that help you move like fiber, which also helps clean up the gut. So these are some sort of practical things. By the way, for magnesium, you cannot harm yourself. The only thing you're going to do is cause, if you take too much, you'll have diarrhea. But for people who are constipated, they're probably psyched. They're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so you'll know you've taken too much mag when you have diarrhea. Take less. That's kind of the line in the sand. With the fish, getting back to the fish, do you put a limit when it comes to even eating like smaller fish or having like wild salmon or sardines? Do you say, well, still, I only want you to eat fish like two or three times per week? I don't actually tell people to limit fish because I think that what we're living in now is what I would call death by a thousand cuts. There's a lot of ways to zero in on, oh my God, this and oh my God, that. And if you really pay attention to what's happening in our food supply, it's horrifying. And so I think generally that the benefits to fish outweigh the problems with fish as long as you continue to work on optimizing your body. But it's not a perfect science. I would say fish is probably better for you than eating pasta, right? Like when you put it in the scale of things, if fish is a staple of your diet, you're getting great omegas with it and that's healing unto itself. And it's a good source of protein. So 
I would say avoid the heavy metal fish, avoid the predator fish, and avoid fish that are caught. Like I live in Boston. There's a song written about love those dirty waters, right? Don't eat fish from the Charles River because it's dirty. So make sure that the sources of your fish are cleaner to the best of your ability. It's a little challenging, but do your best. All right. Good advice. And your thoughts on sauna, sauna therapy. Oh, well, you said the magic word. I love saunas. So we have a sunlight and sauna in our basement. That was my 50th birthday present, actually, because I turned 50 during COVID and we were not traveling. So I was like, well, instead of a trip to somewhere cool, how about a sauna? So we got a sauna. I'm a huge proponent of them. I'm a huge proponent of near, mid, far infrared because it gets to all the levels, especially deep intracellularly to help things move along. And so what it does is it helps you move the toxins out of your body through your sweat. It continues to act for about a half hour after you leave the sauna. So I'm a huge proponent of it. I'm also a proponent of dry brushing, Epsom salt baths, exercise, obviously not to the level of a sauna, but exercise will get you sweating and also help you with detox. But back to your question, yes, huge proponent as often as you can. I do an hour. I know that they recommend a half hour and I just like the relaxation of sitting in my sauna and nobody talks to me. So it's probably a little bit of this like going back to basics and having some downtime. So I spend an hour just sitting and relaxing. Do you dry brush while you're in the sauna or do you wait until you're in the shower? You can dry brush. You know, I had a couple of patients who said to me that they weren't ever getting a sweat going when they were in the sauna. And I said, well, try dry brushing before going in so that you can wake up the lymph and start to move the lymph. And they found that it did actually help them with sweating in the sauna. So I would say dry brush before. It's kind of gross if you're in the sauna and you're wet and you're already sweaty to start. It's not really dry brushing at that point. If you're already sweating, you're moving the toxins. I would say dry brush before, get in the sauna, sweat, wait 30 minutes, and then shower. How about colonics, colon hydrotherapy? Love them. Love it. Love it. Love them. I mean, there's so many things about colon hydrotherapy I could go on and on about. One, everybody's constipated. There's only two speeds, right? Diarrhea or constipation. So people tend towards constipation more than diarrhea. So it's fantastic for retraining the gut muscle to contract properly. Love it. Then for detox purposes, if you're impaired at moving your toxins along, it can, again, retrain the gut to start to move properly. And then some of the colonics, depending on what's in them, can also support you with detoxing in the moment. Like I think people do coffee enema. That always just sounded pretty unpleasant to me, so I never did it. But I've done colon hydrotherapy with the therapist who measure the pressure in your gut, and it's amazing. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, the gut and colon hydrotherapy. I do sauna regularly like you do. But have you heard of Dr. Walter Crinian? Maybe. Yeah, Dr. Walter Crinian. He's unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but he's a naturopath. Just did a lot of research in the world of environmental toxins. And he was actually one of my instructors when I went through my master's in nutrition. We had a detoxification and biotransformation course. And he said, and I'm not saying I agree with this, but he's also an expert. He said if there was one thing he would recommend to support, I think it was just to support detoxification. I don't think it was specific for heavy metals, but he said it would be colon hydrotherapy. So it was just interesting that he mentioned that over sauna and all the other modalities that are available. I have to think about that, whether I, here's the issue. I think everything's great. And I think for certain people, things work better and are more accessible. So I'm reluctant to say that one thing is the holy grail because 
really depends where you are in life and what works for you and what your finances allow for. So, you know, anybody healthy enough can get a good sweat on, right? So you don't need a sauna for that. But I would say, I think it's up there in the top five. I'll put it that way. How about supplements such as NAC, N-acetylcysteine, alpha-lipoic acid, there's liposomal glutathione. What are some of your favorites? Well, I take liposomal glutathione and vitamin C and NAC and alpha-lipoic acid and fiber every day (laughs) myself. Now, remember, I'm still trying to get rid of my toxins. So I take it every day as an ongoing support. I think it's really important before we talk about specific supplements is to preface it by saying, think of healing with sort of a platform, a foundation, the base of the pyramid for healing does not include binding toxins. And the reason is if you haven't handled your food, your gut health, your sleep, your stress management, your relationships with others, which could cause or help your stress. If you haven't handled what I'll call the foundational behaviors of your life, you cannot detox because if you improve your liver, but your gut's dysfunctional, you're not going to remove those toxins. You're simply going to recycle them. Then you're doing even more work and not understanding why your body's so fatigued. And if you have a dysfunctional gut that's not absorbing your supplements, then it doesn't matter how much you take. They're not going to be effective. So anytime we're talking about this, you have to deal with the foundations first. And then you can deal with what I'll call higher order behaviors of detox, which is the actual removal process. But you've got to heal your gut first. You have to sleep. You can't be a stress ball. And you have to eat food that supports your body. Don't bother detoxing until you've gotten to that stuff pretty well handled. So then we can go to supplements. I'm sorry, Eric, I had to put that in. No, that's good to know. So you focus initially more on gut healing, making sure the gut is healed before not just supplementation, but even like what we just spoke about, like sauna therapy, or if someone wanted to do colon hydrotherapy, pretty much it's still first focus on the gut. Well, I think colon hydrotherapy has a great role for healing the gut in general. So that I would not put later. I think sauna is fine because you're using your skin to mobilize the toxins. It's when you're talking about let's bind the toxins, let's take things that support liver's ability to move, mobilize and process toxins. You don't want to do that till you fix the gut. Gut first and then you can layer on, okay, let's improve your liver with the things we were talking about like N-acetylcysteine, alpha-lipoic acid, which are the precursors for glutathione. And glutathione helps the liver to process, bind, and remove the toxins. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. So you take, you said, so you take, not everything, but as far as alpha-lipoic acid, NAC, and liposomal glutathione, again, you are actively trying to detox, reduce your toxic burden. So you're not suggesting that everybody should do that on a wellness basis. But Yeah, maybe, maybe not, right? I mean, almost everyone could use vitamin D. It's an immune modulator. It immune regulates the gut. It regulates the immune system. It regulates the tight junctions in your gut. It helps fight off disease. So I would say everyone could probably use vitamin D, check your levels with your provider. And the B vitamins, most people do really well with, and those support both general health and energy and detox. So it's kind of a mix, right? It's a little bit of everything. And fiber, kind of everyone could take a fiber and be okay with that. Most people. Yeah. I take vitamin D. So I definitely need to take vitamin D and find a lot of people need to take vitamin D. I agree with the fiber. I guess I was specifically talking about like those three, the NAC, liposomal glutathione, alpha lipoic acid. Like oh, 
Would you say those are wellness supplements or should someone just take like NAC on a regular basis or is it just like just rely on food for detox once someone has reached a point where their toxic burden has greatly decreased? I would say this is the part of healing that really deserves a consultation with a functional medicine provider because it's hard to make a blanket, do this, don't do that, because I don't know who's on the other end of listening. So I would say I love NAC, alpha lipoic acid, glutathione, liposomal C. I think at fiber, I think they're fantastic. I use them myself. And it's hard to design a plan for you without knowing you. So I would say you can't go wrong focusing on the foundations of your health and making sure your gut is optimized. And then when you really want to drill into the nuances of detox, do it with a provider. Awesome advice. Anything else that you want to cover when it comes to heavy metals? I mean, I think we covered a lot and most of it, or any last words that you want to say when it comes to heavy metals? Love last words. Okay. So for heavy metals, you might not be able to get away with away from what you were exposed to at birth. And you might live in a home that was built before 1978. So you can't get away from ongoing exposure, but you do have the ability to heal from this, especially as regards to autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's, Graves disease, you can absolutely heal. So don't give up because you have control of this narrative. There is hope. All right. Well, Thank you so much, Dr. Wendy. And where can people find out more about you? There obviously is your current book, Dirty Girl, which I assume they could find on Amazon or your website. Yep. It's cheaper for them on Amazon. Don't type in Dirty Girl. You're going to be sent off into a rabbit hole. Type in Dirty Girl Detox Book or Dirty Girl Trubo, if you remember my name. And then they can get it on our website too, which is fivejourneys.com. That also has all of our supplements and our podcast, which is the Feel Freaking Amazing podcast. It's currently called the Five Journeys Podcast. And today we changed the name of it to Feel Freaking Amazing, Live Like You Matter. So it's kind of new, old and new. All right. Well, wonderful. Yeah. What you said just today, you just coincidentally just changed it today. We decided we're going to change it. By the way, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at Wendy Trubo MD. And our new Dirty Girl brand is now live, Dirty Girl Detox. So that's also on Facebook and Instagram. All right. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure to include all those links in the show notes. And again, thank you, Dr. Wendy, again, or Wendy. I know you said don't call you Dr. Wendy, but so Wendy, thank you again for getting together. And pleasure. It was great to just do a deep dive into heavy metals. You too, Eric. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. That was a great conversation with Dr. Wendy. I didn't mean to put her on the spot when asking about aluminum. Just I do hair mineral analysis testing, and I didn't bring that up just because I know she doesn't do hair testing. And typically, those practitioners who do the provoked urine testing really don't think highly of hair testing. So I I, I could have brought it up and had a argument or argumentative conversation. But either way, with hair testing, aluminum shows up a lot, and it is quite widespread. So it was just interesting why aluminum didn't show up on the urine test. So I just figured I'd bring that up again, not trying to make her look bad. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to why it doesn't show up on on urine and shows up on hair. 
And then arsenic also. So it sounds like mainly lead and mercury are two of the big ones that show up really good on urine testing. And then hair testing, there's different types of mercury. So that's another thing that should be said. What mercury, there's methylmercury, which is found in fish, and that shows up better on a hair test. And then organic mercury or inorganic mercury, I believe, which is the type found like silver fillings, mercury amalgams. So that shows up better on the urine test. And lead, lead sometimes shows up on hair tests, but not too well. Now, that being said, if someone were to do a provoked test, like if they were to do two hair tests, just like a lot of practitioners do a baseline urine test and a provoked urine test, I mean, you could do that with hair testing, but practitioners typically don't do that with hair testing. And I'm not sure if it would provide similar results. There is controversy over the provoked urine testing that everybody has metals and it's in a way, I guess you could say cheating a little bit when using the provocation agent. So I don't necessarily hold that opinion. There also is a little bit of controversy with the chelating agents that you could chelate metals and they could redeposit in other areas of the body. It's more of a concern when treating people using chelation therapy, but potentially still a concern when taking the chelating agents for the purpose of the provocation for testing purposes. But I would imagine it's rare. I would think that Dr. Wendy and other practitioners wouldn't be using the chelating agents if it caused problems, especially when it comes to testing. And then sauna, no surprise that she's a fan of sauna, infrared sauna. I'm definitely a supporter of sauna, and I do that a few times per week. been trying to do it three times a week recently for a while. For a number of years, I was getting in the sauna most of the time, twice per week, sometimes three per week, but just lately, again, trying to be more consistent with the three times per week. And it has not only benefits when it comes to the elimination of toxins, environmental toxins, including heavy metals, but also great for circulation and just has some really good health benefits. And then colonics. So colonics, again, have not done a colonic in the past on myself, but that's interesting. And once again, my instructor from when I went through a master's in nutrition degree, if he had to choose one method of detoxification, this is Dr. Walter Crinian, he said it would be colon hydrotherapy or colonics. And yeah, just interesting. It's something that there is a little bit of controversy over whether it might have a negative effect on the gut microbiome, but it does seem like the studies show that any change is temporary, like within, I believe, like 30 days, the microbiota goes back to normal, but there's not a lot of research with that. I guess it's something if someone's not improving, if they're not getting better, it takes a while to detox. So if someone is following, doing things for detoxification after a month or two and they're not improving, it might not be long enough. But if someone is doing things for five, six months, and again, not to say after five, six months, people are going to completely reduce their toxic load, but you would hope to see some positive changes, hopefully before then. But colonics, something to consider. Again, I really haven't brought it up to patients. I'm focusing more on using food supplementation and sauna, even though getting back to sauna, people with hyperthyroidism, 
not necessarily a good fit for those who have a elevated resting heart rate. It's just a reminder about that. But again, colon hydrotherapy is something to consider. And then also Dr. Wendy mentioned where she focuses on gut healing before detoxifying, at least when it comes to more aggressive detoxification. Obviously, people are detoxifying all the time by eating certain foods, especially vegetables and especially fiber-rich vegetables. But when it comes to supplementation, it sounds like she focuses on gut healing. And she's not the only one I've heard that from. There are different perspectives when it comes to that, where some will say you want to focus on gut healing, and then others will put people on a detox. And I've done the latter for years. I've had people, not everybody, but I'm not shy about having people do things for detoxification, support the detoxification pathways through supplementation before fully healing the gut. That's my approach and people have gotten good results for years. But like I said, it's not something I haven't heard before where other practitioners say that you want to heal the gut because there's risk if you have a leaky gut and you're doing things to support detoxification, you might get toxins passing through the intestinal barrier and going into the bloodstream, causing immune system reaction. So again, there's debate about that. There's not debate, obviously, about leaky gut and intestinal barrier. And if you have a leaky gut, things passing through. But as far as if you're supporting detoxification, if that it could make things worse, I guess you could say. So like I said, there's different approaches. I'm always open to new approaches, but I have had many people over the years do things for detoxification, even before fully healing the gut. And I think that's all I want to say about uh, this episode. And again, really enjoyed chatting with Dr. Wendy again. And as usual, I want to thank you for tuning into this episode. And I look forward to catching you in the next one. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.